0: Hi, I'm Jen. I love watching horror movies. I also have PTSD, and I go to a lot of therapy. I'm Lara. I have anxiety and depression and love having the shit scared out of me. Wait,
1: what? I'm Mike. I'm a therapist, and I love talking about horror movies and mental health.
0: (laughs) We love horror films for how much they scare us and for how much they help us. Because we love talking about mental health, a.k.a. how crazy we are, and the role the horror genre can play in our self-care we started a
2: podcast called Psycho Analysis.
3: Every episode, we talk about a movie and how it relates to a different topic in mental health and wellness. Whether it's a deep dive or a shorter episode in a movie that makes us feel all warm and fuzzy.
0: But not in a weird way. Unless we're talking about hot horror sweaters, because then it is very weird. True. Very weird. (laughs) Our episodes drop every Thursday on the Consequence Podcast Network. Listen to find out... How horror horror can can heal. heal.
1: (laughs)
2: <laughs> hi i'm anna Marie cox i'm an adjunct loser and a co-host of a new podcast called space the nation i've been covering politics for over 20 years my co-host dan dresner is a professor of international relations at tufts university and we're both huge science fiction nerds so our podcast is about the politics in science fiction, how characters and plotlines deal with power structures and alliances, economic forces and class struggles, and how these events reflect historical events and are explained by real political theory. We also do some serious fan-personing. If you're a Stephen King fan listening to a two-hour Stephen King podcast, I think you'll like it. We just finished recapping The Expanse Season 5, and now we're moving on to look at things like Ender's Game, Alien, and The Left Hand of Darkness. If you're interested, you can find out more on patreon.com slash spacethenation, or you can get us wherever you get your podcasts. See you there.
3: Constant listeners and welcome yet again to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. You've heard us despair over desperation. You've heard us get gunned down by the regulators, and now you get to hear us go bonkers for Bachman. Today we are concerned with King, with what King's 1996 experiment in twinning narratives actually has to say, uh, if anything. Before we get started, however, let's meet our panel. My name is Rock and Randall Colburn, and uh, joining me from Nashville, we have.
0: This is Gen Tooth the Rage Adams. Although I m- almost said Bonkers for Bachman because I love that alliteration. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I love I love so. a good use of alliteration.
0: Me too. Yeah. So well done. <laughs>
3: uh, what was your first encounter with Richard Bachman?
0: Um, The Long Walk. I think I had um, my dad had the copy, like the bound of all four of the books, mm-hmm. and I was like, Ooh, this is fascinating. And I think I read The Long Walk, and I'm sure I saw the Arnold Schwarzenegger Running Man, and was mm-hmm. like, Ooh, this is interesting. I don't really have clear memories of reading. Um, Richard Bachman until I was like in high school And it was kind of like a, an intellectual Kind of exercise as reading it More so than like really Enjoying it and that kind of sums up My feelings on Richard Bachman in yeah. general Like yeah. I love to talk about him In connection with King more than I like To read him
1: sure but. no I agree with that Who is joining me from Chicago uh, Man Jen took my nickname so I'll just say <laughs> this is no, no 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 this is Dan Twinning Fleeger. Uh. <laughs> wanted to say rage
2: but
1: oh (laughs) i just read that for the first time last year Ah. Uh, good to be here folks what was your first (laughs) encounter with bachman ever i was the running man back in the day um the movie or the book the movie first but i didn't you know i didn't make the connection when i was little i just loved arnold when i was a kid uh i think i've read every bachman now except for blaze which i think is the newest one yeah blaze is my
3: is my blind spot as well with bachman um yeah. Uh, then who is joining us from Austin?
2: On a long walk.
0: <laughs> oh, nice.
2: That is good. I know. That's a keeper. <laughs> I'm going to – that's it. I finally found my...
3: <laughs> <laughs> And Anna, what was your first ever experience with Richard Bachman?
2: I mean, I can't – it's probably sometime in – I've been – thinking about my first experience with King ever since I started talking to y'all on this podcast. And I think that was Christine when mm-hmm. I was in middle school. Um, actually, at, at, I believe, Hill Country Middle School, not too far away from here. Oh. Um, I believe that Thinner mm. was the first Bachman book I read. And I hadn't really thought about till just now. I liked the Bachman books. As a teenager. Yeah. I, I do not like them <laughs> very much as an adult.
3: Well, that actually dovetails with one of the questions I have for us later. Uh, but yeah, I because I actually really agree, Anna, is that I was very into the Bachman books as a teenager. I, I first bought the Bachman books, I remember, when I was on the boardwalk in New Jersey, the Jersey Shore. I was on vacation with my parents. And uh, I was such a I was such a uh, r- rabid reader when I was a kid. I had already blew through all the books that I had brought to read uh, while sitting on the beach with my parents and, and everybody. And so I remember I went to the store and the Bachman books, I think had just come out or were relatively new, and I had no clue what they were at all. I And so that was like a really fun experiment. And I, I blew through them. I remember thinking... Um, Long Walk especially was my favorite and that's the one I still love to this day but uh, Rage I remember liking a lot when I was in high school and now (laughs) when we revisited that for the bot it was like oh no um What was I thinking? But no, I mean that's the thing though is I do think the sort of teenage angst and uh, you know is is really important to the Bachman mindset. The mm-hmm. the sort of grim finality of everything, uh, that sense of I don't know absolutism of being a teenager. And uh, yeah, that's what we're going to discuss today a little bit. We're going to start by discussing Bachman in general, um, using his uh, Stephen King's The Importance of Being Bachman essay that he included in uh, with the regulators and oh no with the Bachman books when it was re-released in 1996 and um yeah we're going to use that as sort of a jumping off point and then we're going to talk more specifically about desperation and the regulators and this whole twinning experiment this whole Bachman experiment and whether or not we think it works um if you haven't listened to our episodes on desperation and the regulators they're in the feed and they're both very good uh so we're going to have a little fun today discussing these things but before we begin um talking in earnest I want to just read some sections from this essay that I think are interesting um Uh, Because King clearly has thought a lot about Bachman, and it isn't just sort of a fun pen name for him. It's very much sort of, I don't know, it was sort of a mindset uh, that I think he he found himself dipping deeper and deeper into. And one thing that I thought was fun when I was revisiting this was the idea that he was really pissed off when uh, Bachman got found out. Uh, I I just thought that was super neat. I guess I never, Mm. well, A, it's funny to think about Stephen King being mad. Like he just seems like such a Mm -hmm. nice man. Um, And, uh, but then also the idea of like, you know, your alter ego being found out. And even though that's going to inevitably boost your book sales uh, and those sales, um, just him feeling like he lost a certain part of himself. But yeah, my, my best selling alter ego got found out curses. <laughs> <laughs> um, he wrote this in Lovell, Maine, April 16th, 1996. Um, and he says, my first introduction wasn't very good. To me, it reads like a textbook case of author obfuscation, but that is not surprising. When it was written, Bachman's alter ego, me, in other words, wasn't in what I'd call a contemplative or analytical mood. I was, in fact, feeling robbed. Bachman was never created as a short-term alias. He was supposed to be there for the long haul. And when my name came out in connection with his, I was surprised, upset, and pissed off. When his cover was blown, Richard Bachman died. I made light of this in a few interviews where I felt required to that I felt required to give on the subject, saying that he died of cancer of the pseudonym, but it was actually shock that killed him. The realization that sometimes people just won't let you alone. To put it more fulsome, but not at all in accurate terms, Bachman was the vampire side of my existence, killed by the sunlight of disclosure. The books <laughs> the books in this omnibus were written by a young man who was angry, energetic, and deeply infatuated with the art and craft of writing. They weren't written as Bachman books per se. Bachman hadn't been invented yet after all, but in a Bachman state of mind, low rage, sexual frustration, crazy good humor and sim- simmering despair. Um, so that's sort of how he leads this essay, and I do think it's interesting that he's talking about the idea of that these were written when he was young. Obviously, thinner and regulators and blaze, I think, are the exceptions. Those are ones he wrote specifically for the Bach, for the name Bachman. But uh, rage, the long walk, roadwork, and uh, the running man were all written, you know, when he was a young writer. Um, and so I don't know what do we sort of take from we we've already hinted at this, but what do we take from the Bachman voice uh, being born? from a teenage king like do you think that he like was he writing like this like that's the thing is this was king you know it wasn't Bachman so
2: I mean I think when I was thinking about you know something we touched on right right away which is um having enjoyed these novels as adolescents there is something kind of adolescent about the writing Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. it rejects editing you yeah. know uh it rege- it's kind sort of a leave me alone <laughs> style of writing it's very emo um it's actually it's not even emo cuz it's not sensitive it's actually it's actually the personality of a teenager who doesn't want to feel shit mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. who's above that um kind of cruel yeah also. yeah i mean literally what he does to his characters in these books is pretty cruel mm-hmm um and while Stephen King characters undergo hardships i feel like there's there's uh, you identify with the character undergoing the hardship in yeah. king, king novels whereas i think in bachman novels it's almost that you more identify with the omniscient narrator the writer mm-hmm. like you're the per- you're you're the thi- person or the power making this character undergo such hardship and such torture and, um, I feel like, oh, I remember this is what I was going to say about this is sort of a regulators versus desperation thing. And we touched on it, which is Stephen King loves his characters, all of his characters. Like I'm rereading Dr. Sleep right now. And I'm, mm. I would keep coming. It's not a great novel by any means, but, um, the true knot. He makes them real characters. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like, and you, there are things to like about them. They love each other. They are true. They're true to each other. They're loyal. They have moments of kindness within their group. I mean, they're terrible, you know, steam sucking vampires, but, (laughs) you know, he gives them some depth that they're not just like bad people. And Mm -hmm. um, I feel like Bachman books, he doesn't necessarily like his characters. Mm -mm. Like, there's sort of like a weird, yeah distance and cruelty
0: I think that too and I think I've kind of um, preparing for this episode really kind of looked at that about because I also reread the long walk and I think you're right on a like I think King in a lot of ways says everyone is the main character of their own story and he keeps mm-hmm. that firmly in his head when he's writing and I think that's what allows him to develop these really rich characters and I think the main character in any Bachman book is Stephen King. Like, I think he is writing from his perspective. And I think it's like he, I don't necessarily think it's that he doesn't like his characters. I think he is just giving himself an out to not care about how they feel, you know? Mm. Like, I think um, he will just kind of let let things happen to them and not really try to really get into their heads too much. Um, Whereas I think Stephen King really does that. And like a lot of terrible shit happens to his King characters. But I think that unfolds naturally through the story. Whereas I think of King kind of like the image of talk, like our little boy talk, like lining up his trucks in the sandbox is what kept coming up while I was like thinking Mm -hmm. through all of the Bachman books, you know,
2: it's Um, almost sociopathic, honestly. Like,
0: <laughs> it kind of it's, is. It's, yeah. it's like,
2: I actually, when you were talking, Jen, what I thought is that Bachman has the personality of a school shooter. Like, well, <laughs> right. rage. Charlie teenager, Like Right, right, yeah. right, right. Someone who sees other people not really as full human beings, but mm-hmm. rather like things to be manipulated and, and played out across a stage. Yeah, and and I mean, I think I'm being almost too mean here because no, I hey, I get that. Because Stephen <laughs> King is a nice
0: man, <laughs> I do too. Good
2: values, but, but I clearly, think that he's very
0: empathetic, and that is really exhausting, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think like this is his chance to not have to do that, you know. Like mm. this is, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I'm tired of getting in the heads of my characters. No, I'm just I, gonna. I, I, I would
1: say have. the Bachman books are almost like the live journal of Stephen King. Um, <laughs> like or the back, school shooter.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, someone who fits
1: the profile. Jeez. No, But when I go back and read like my old writing, and I wasn't an angry kid necessarily, but just when you're kind of a young man sometimes, you have – Jen, you mentioned empathy. And like empathy is something that I think develops, especially in men, a little later in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. I remember having a lot of emotions and not really having – The emotional maturity to even identify what they were other than like Mm. anger, frustration. You know, I mean, it's these very kind of primitive mindsets. And when I read some of his stuff um, from that era, you know, the the pseudonym, I definitely identify with that. And it's a lot of it that feels sort of unfinished. Like these were ideas that he had that he put out there that just didn't, they're not complete. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I love, like, The Long Walk. I, I think that's the one that stands out out of mm-hmm. all of those as mm-hmm. the one that well, I like. his
2: empathy. That's, yeah. that's yes. actually, yeah. That's the one feel that feels for the those most, characters.
1: Yeah, it feels the most, like, modern Stephen King compared to the rest. Um, but I think, like Anna was saying earlier, like, you know, it, Stephen King always seems like he lacks an editor, but especially these, <laughs> they just and I, and I think that's, you know, wisely why he chose to put him out under the pseudonym as well. Not just so that he wasn't competing with himself in terms of sales, but... I don't know that he'd want to put the SK signature on all of these stories.
3: Yeah, yeah. What you were saying, Anna, about him like being a school shooter, it also reminded me though. We mentioned this on a previous episode, I believe, with the the documentary um, glitch in the matrix. Like, like mm-hmm. it's that it's that sort of uh, I live in a simulation and everybody else is NPCs kind of thinking, um, which is it's that and it speaks to that self absorption that I think is really key to a lot of the way teenagers feel. I mean, one of the things I think people love about YA like YA literature is that the emotions are so big, you know, and Mm -hmm. you can remember what it was like when everything felt so important all the time, you know? And, uh, but at the same time, that kind of thinking and, the idea that the world revolves around you and all of these things are so catastrophic and apocalyptic when it's usually just like a girl breaking your heart or, you know, friends didn't invite you to go to the movies, you know, but you're so mad at them. And that sort Mm -hmm. of elevates to um, this really grand thinking that where you're at the center of the narrative and everyone else exists to sort of, um, I don't know, to hurt you or love you. And yeah, yeah, and so it's like, so I think about that a lot with the Bachman books. And I think a lot about the kind of, because like, you know, because I feel sometimes that Bachman does hate his characters like not all of them like I agree with you Jen because there definitely are exceptions but the regulator specifically man Mm -hmm. he hates Mm -hmm. some of those people and Mm -hmm. mostly I mean you know not like mostly the women like he treats the women like absolute garbage (laughs) in those books and it's like and like just the way he speaks about them it's like he's so annoyed with them you know and the thing is like King is very hyper aware of that I think especially when he wrote this intro he describes um, Bachman as a rainy day sort of guy if ever was one and he also just calls him not a very nice guy and he (laughs) cites um he cites uh the fact that a lot of his Bachman books have bad like you know like tragic endings um as like he basically said the happiest ending in the bachman books is the running man where you know a guy basically spoiler alert for the running man um (laughs) basically flies an airplane into a media um conglomerate skyscraper uh to basic which is you know essentially an act of heroism in that book to free people from sort of the mind control and everything and uh and that, to him, he's like, that's the happiest ending, and it's, like, really twisted, because, you know, I think Rage, we see sort of, you know, the futility of, of I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think, like, I know Rage, like, doesn't have a happy ending, per se, uh, but I guess the question is, like, what is the story he's telling? Because it's, like, you know, it's a happy ending in the sense that the school shooter was thwarted, <laughs>
2: you know, but- I've, yeah. said this, I've said this, I think, before when we were just talking about um, regulators, but... Um... I think one of the other differences, and again, this goes back to kind of the adolescence uh, of Bachman, is that he's not trying to figure shit out. You know, he's, Mm -hmm. he's, these books are sometimes thought experiments, Mm -hmm. you know, like he's like sort of in a way like, I wonder what would happen if this and this and this happened, right? Like in Mm -hmm. the regulators, it's really obvious, like he's just kind of playing out an experiment. Um, but in the other books, I think this is, again, like he has this empathy and he's also working on something a lot of the time. Yeah. There's like mm-hmm. some kind of like idea that he's trying to explore. And sometimes I think having read Dance Macabre, like I don't know if it's entirely conscious. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but mm-hmm. be, maybe because he's putting so much empathy into the characters, he winds up kind of working out some emotion or some kind of familial relationship or. God or whatever yeah. in the Bachman books there's no sense of like a deeper theme that's being kind of turned around and examined and yeah mm-hmm. explored
3: like he's just feels, he's mad at people <laughs> like yeah yeah like it feels yeah. like
0: Keith Ledger's Joker as we're talking <laughs> about this, you know
3: the <laughs> like Joker I just want to see what's gonna
0: happen right <laughs> and sometimes that turns out not so terribly and sometimes it turns out like everything blows up you know
3: yeah. So like Jen, you just reread The Long Walk, and I think most of us would agree that the Long Walk is definitely sort of the creme de la creme of of, of mm-hmm. Bachman because you know, I mean, I think it does tap into the hyper aggressive masculinity that exists in a lot mm-hmm. of Bachman, but in this case almost for a good cause, because it's very the long walk is probably best read as, you know, um bonding amongst men and teenage boys mm-hmm. specifically in a very high stakes situation. Um, but like who are still going through uh, adolescence, teenage angst, uh, uh, sexuality, horniness, like all of those sor- sorts of mm. things. So what do you think it is? Is, is... There's
2: something being worked out actually. I'd point yeah. out. I think the reason why Long Walk resonates and also endures, it's like the one, it's the one book that I thought about rereading. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the <laughs> one, one I
0: wanted to reread. Yeah.
2: It, it's, it has something going on inside it. Mm-hmm. It, re- it rewards a reread. Yeah,
3: yeah.
0: Like, basically,
2: well, like, the other think, books don't really.
0: I think part of that is because I don't think King is kind of raging at the characters in his story. I think he's raging at the world that mm-hmm. would put these characters in this system. And I was thinking about it, and I got really nerdy while I was preparing for this, and I twinned all of the books, all of the Bachman books, with another Stephen King book, and... Um, And I just did it kind of on how I felt when I was reading those books. And I like looked up the years they were written and they all kind of lined up. Um, But the one that I twinned this one with was the body, because I think both Mm -hmm. of them are about friendship. But the thing that's so dark about the long walk is that it's a zero sum friendship. It's like they all know that in order to survive, all of these friends they're making have to die. Mm -hmm. And so like I'm to the I I haven't finished it yet, but I'm to the point where um, Garrity is starting to realize like at some point he's going to to want McVreeze to die yeah. because that means that he's not going to die. And I think that's like the, the anger I kind of feel in that book, but that's why it feels so much more like a King book is because I feel like the characters generally like each other. He's not mad at them mm-hmm. per se. He's mad at the the system
3: that basically forces uh like ruins a friendship like a budding friendship like this system has put it in in a situation where the friendship can't flourish like and it it pits people against each other like this world in general pits people against each other so it's like the
1: challenge on MTV (laughs) I love the challenge
2: (laughs) I (laughs) I was actually just thinking about that um Because someone asked me to write, someone (laughs) asked me to write a review of like the real world, um, 20 year reunion anniversary. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I was thinking about is how innocent that first real world is because we know what they rely on is the stakes in that show. Nothing. There's just people Mm -hmm. just being friends or not being friends. There's no Mm -hmm. like contest. There's no one getting voted out. There's no reward it's just the idea of just watching people trying to get along with somehow enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm
3: -hmm. And there's no
1: awareness of what it's going to look like at the end. Whereas I think everyone now is a little more camera ready. Um, Yes. But yeah, someone, I I just binge the new, I I don't watch a lot of reality TV, but I I love the challenge. I always think that's fun Mm -hmm. to go back to. And when I, going to what you were saying about the long walk, it does feel like that too, where it's like, you're kind of friends become foes. Everyone's kind of feeling each other out. And I think that's, common in a lot of, you know, reality TV and stuff today, and I think The Long Walk really kind of captures that ahead of its time.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: well, Running
3: Man, too, because it's literally about... Yeah, run, yeah. yeah
1: exactly, yeah. yeah. It, 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 I, I, I pair The Running Man and The Long Walk together in my mind, but I'm yeah. really interested to hear what Jen paired with some of the <laughs> other ones. <laughs> well,
2: I, ironically, I think in some ways, maybe it's because... The reason why those Bachman books don't feel like they're really wrestling with like an emotional problem or something like a naughty theoretical, you know, philosophical issue is that a lot of them are about capitalism. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of them are just like anger at capitalism. So there's a real irony about the using your pseudonym because you're so fucking successful. (laughs)
3: Like
2: (laughs) 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 what are a lot of the time, you know, uh, even like thinner, you could say is about consumption, right?
3: Sure, like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: And and that's that that's the Ur theme of Bachman is mm-hmm. consumption. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, that's a really interesting look at it. Um, and it is funny, and maybe that is why he's pissed because you know Bachman got Bachman, who is a dairy farmer, uh, who you know kind of <laughs> lives off the land in the world of King, like gets outed as the what the richest, most successful author in the world. Um, mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit more. I'm gonna read a little bit more from this essay where where King talks more about sort of what Bachman meant to him personally. There's a place in most of us where the rain is pretty much constant. The shadows are always long and the woods are full of monsters. It is good to have a voice in which the terrors of such a place can be articulated and its geography partially described, without denying the sunshine and clarity that fills so much of our ordinary lives. Bachman had become a kind of id for me. He said the things I couldn't, and the thought of him out there on his New Hampshire dairy farm, not a best-selling writer who gets his name in some stupid Forbes list of entertainers too rich for their own good, or his face on the Today Show or doing cameos in movies, quietly writing his books gave him permission to think in ways I could not think, and speak in ways I could not speak. And then these news stories came out saying Bachman is really King, and there was no one, not even me, to defend the dead man, or to point out the obvious, that King was also really Bachman at least some of the time. Um, and that actually speaks to what you were just saying, uh, Anna, like the general idea where he's like, I can't say these things as the, as the guy who's on the Today Show or whatever, um, which is interesting. But I don't know. I'm drawn to that idea of like writers having um, two different sides and wanting to have this outlet to write um the really grim stuff, the stuff that maybe your regular readers don't want to read. And it made me think a little bit of, um, I've talked about him on the pod before, but the author Nick Cutter, uh, who wrote The Mm -hmm. Troop, and that's a pen name for Craig Davidson, who is a writer who, um, if I'm being correct, I'm trying to think like, I don't think his other books are, like, they're not as, horrific and disgusting as books like The Troop and The Deep, which he wrote uh, as Nick Cutter, and that just really made me think a lot about, like, I remember when I found out that Nick Cutter was a pen name, I was surprised because those books were really successful, and you'd think he'd want them under his own name, but maybe he also doesn't want to be wholly associated with how grim and how dark and how disgusting those books are, and so, um, I don't know, like, do we think that... uh, um, do we think that, like, I don't know, how would you interpret what he defines as the key differences between his writing and Bachman's? Like, uh, and what what is it specifically about Bachman that in, basically, if we're reading through the lines here of what King's saying, what is it that would really alienate the King reader? What do you guys think?
2: I mean, I think he's, it's weirdly self-aware, although not self-critical.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and... The idea of like having an anonymous side or a pseudonymous side, it actually got me thinking a little bit about recovery and anonymity in the rooms. Mm-hmm. I was thinking the same thing. and how it it works the reason <laughs> the reason for having anonymity in the rooms is almost the opposite, um which is that you you get to stop there's sort at least for me, I'd be interested in what Jen has to say, but for me, in the rooms, I get to stop being the person I'm playing at being mm-hmm. in the outside world, and ha- have being someone with just you know a little bit of renown, like a you mm-hmm. know the D, F list, you know <laughs> fame. Um, the thing that's really like what I love about the anonymity of the rooms is feeling like I'm being judged just for judged. Actually, <laughs> feeling like I'm just being known. For mm-hmm. what I share in that meeting, mm-hmm. like, and I say one thing, and I bet this happens to King even more. And I'm, I've always been curious about how real, real famous people deal with this. When someone comes up to me and like wants to talk about politics <laughs> in an AA meeting, I get so pissed. Like, I'm like, that's not yeah. who I am. That's not who I am right now. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, right. wanna, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And I wonder if there's a little bit of that, Jen.
0: Well, and I also think because I I do agree yeah, and I think there's there's a freedom in just being able to say what you want. And that's the biggest thing that I've gotten out of the rooms is like I can say whatever Mm -hmm. I want. And it really helped me start talking about a lot of things to have that like the stakes removed, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and I wonder if like. As uh, Randall, as you were reading the first part and he was talking about being so mad and feeling robbed, like I feel like the way that um, he kind of gets out his anger and frustration on the page, especially starting this as a teenager, like that's and allowing himself to kind of get that out without being judged that's why I drank a lot of times like Mm -hmm. because I could get those feelings out and like really like I always had the excuse of oh I was drunk I don't remember what Mm -hmm. I said you know and there's like a freedom in that and like kind of looking at the timeline the time that Bachman was exposed was kind of kind of coincided with the time that King got sober I think and I mean I think there's a lot more personal information that we will never know about how that process went and we don't need to know. But mm-hmm. it's just interesting because I wonder if Bachman was a way of dealing with a lot of the things that King couldn't or couldn't figure out how to deal with. That go that getting sober and learning how to actually process that in a healthy way has helped him. Because when I read the books, like when I read um The Regulators and when I read Blaze, even though I think he wrote it when he was younger, but he edited it when he was older. Oh, okay. As much as he did edit it. Yeah, I think it's a trunk novel. But like there's a there's a reflection there, I feel like that is not present in the Bachman books and it's not nearly as much as I think a King book, but I do feel like, like Anna, you said a self-awareness, but not critical. And I think I can feel that,
2: you know, I want to say one more thing on the, on the rooms thing, which is that I think I, I, so I've almost talked myself into like being more sympathetic to Bachman, but I feel more sympathetic to Bachman than I do to the the books. Mm -hmm. And I also feel Mm -hmm. like one thing that, that is why we have the anonymity tradition in the rooms is, you know, what you see here, what you hear here, let it stay here. And there's an argument for, like, yes, you get that shit out, but you don't publish it.
0: <laughs> like mm. you don't, right. Like,
2: yes. You don't need to, like, when you process something yeah. in a therapy session, in a group session, in an AA meeting or 12-step meeting of any kind, there is also kind of awareness that maybe you don't do it elsewhere.
1: Yeah. These are the Finsta's. Of Stephen King, <laughs> if, if you guys are familiar with that term, but the uh, the fake Instagram that people use to hide from their parents. Yeah. <laughs> All my, stuff. I did
2: not um, know that term. Yeah,
1: but, so but, it, but again, it's you uh, don't want to put it under your own name. Oh go ahead, Randall.
3: <laughs> go ahead. I was just gonna say, like, my nieces like uh, like villain, I got like invited to see the Finsta, but then I found out that the Finsta has essentially just become the normal Instagram. Uh, and so there's like five other Finstas, you know, yeah, like, that I will trinsta. never see. Yeah. Which yeah. is so wild but,
1: to me, but I, again, I think it's he doesn't he doesn't get the Stephen King approval, right? He he, these are ideas he has that he's not ready to put out under his own brand, but he kind of wants to throw them out there just to kind of I don't know test the waters. Um, I th- I think these are a lot more external looking than the other yeah. books, whereas Stephen King can be a little more internal and you know, mm-hmm. kind of processing the mind of a person who is losing their mind versus these where it's just like observing someone going crazy, lacking empathy you know, raging against the machine, as it were. Well, I think he, I think it seems like King can be persuaded to publish anything. (laughs) Like,
3: like I think that he really is someone who, he writes prolifically and he publishes prolifically. And I think that Mm -hmm. probably there's, you know, a ton of writers probably look down on that and they're like, I would only publish, you know, the best thing that I have written. Like, only, like, the one thing that I will show people is this, the one thing that I have labored over for years that I'm so proud of. Whereas King's like, I wrote this thing in a week. Let's publish it. Why not? See what the response is. And that (laughs) to me is- yeah
2: and they did you it. imagine that there's like a stephen king papers i don't know if there would be right <laughs> like because they're like they're like for out. some, yeah like i was you know like i've been watching the woody allen pharaoh thing mm-hmm. and like there's a thing about all his papers like mm-hmm. all the stuff he's never he didn't put out because it's not good enough and so there's a rich trove to like look at and with stephen yeah. king it's going to be like oh there's like my grocery list i didn't publish that uh there's like <laughs> you know <laughs> note to self i didn't yeah. publish
1: to-do list <laughs> yeah
0: Right. Yeah, but that's part else. of why I love the Bachman book so much. And I look at it, I think of it kind of like the White Album, you know, like because there are people that say you should edit half of that out and just make one single album. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's almost like the exception that proves the rule kind of thing. Like there's so much material that you can really see the contrast there. Because I was looking, I was watching those um Woody Allen uh, papers mm-hmm. also. And I was like, oh yeah, I, I see why you didn't put that out.
3: Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, you I know. think if we looked at I mean, I think if, if Rage was never published ever and then we saw it, you know, after King died or something and it was in his papers, people would probably just be like, well, I can see why he never published that, you know? Yeah. And that's not to say, like, Rage is worthless. Like, there's definitely stuff in there that is really cool and interesting and says a lot about King. But, you know, but that's the thing is is I think King has that reputation for being, um, you know, an inconsistent author in some ways because he publishes everything, you know, whereas a lot of authors are maybe a little bit more precious about what they put out into the world. Like, you know, King is the person who will publish Lysi's story, but then he'll also put out Cell, you know, and it's like, um, and th- that contrast is funny. And I think that's part of another thing why people love King so much because he yeah, right, that.
2: and Yeah, right. And King also circles back to themes over and over again, like Jen and mm-hmm. I have been talking about, like we're on all the Abusive relationship podcast, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think maybe a, m- a more selective author would be like, "Well, what's my best examination of this theme?" Right, mm-hmm. right. Whereas King is not afraid to be like, "You know what? I'm still thinking about abusive relationships, and I'm just going to go back and write another novel about mm-hmm. abusive relationships."
3: Yeah, it, it, yeah. it kind of reminds me of
1: like David Lynch, though, too. How he would agree to you know film like. Dune or Return of the Jedi, if he could then make his pet project. And I wonder how much of this was King going to the publishers and being like, you know, they're like, great, right, Steve. We want to publish this. And he's like, but I also want to do this. And they're kind of like, all right. They kind of come as a pair. <laughs> like we're going to let yeah. you publish this one. And, and looking at some of the years too, I was thinking back about like Brett Easton Ellis and how, you know, in the nineties, late eighties, some of his work was very controversial. And if they maybe were nervous and they're like, all right, don't. This is not a Stephen King book. Let's put this out. Yeah. You know, as this third party and maybe kind of avoid taking on the criticism head on. I don't know. That's just speculation on my part. Um, but yeah, it's it's like his little, I mean, I'm jealous. Like, I, I think it'd be great to have a <laughs> pseudonym that I can kind of do whatever I wanted. Um, well, and I think still fall back on yeah. the mainstream success.
3: And I think, yeah. I think the thing about King is he loves Bachman. Like, it's clear that he likes Bachman books more than I think anybody in the world likes Bachman books. And I think <laughs> that's because he has, it, it speaks to a part of him that he doesn't get to share with people a lot, I think. Um, I'm going to read this one last part here. Uh his voice sounded superficially the same as mine, but underneath there was a world of difference, all the difference between sunshine and rain, let us say. And his view of people was always different from mine, simultaneously funny, funnier and more cold-hearted. Bert, Bart does in Roadwork, my favorite of the early Bachman books, is an excellent Ooh. example. Bachman has been one way in which I have tried to refresh my craft and to keep from being too comfy and well-padded. So that's sort of his explanation. But what I think is interesting is multiple times in this essay, he describes Bachman as funny. Do we think Bachman is funny? Because I don't at all. Nope. What do you guys think? Yeah.
2: Teenager again. Yeah. Teenager thinks it's funny versus, you know, there's no sophistication to it. There's no, like, again... There's no empathy, like the to me the best comedy. Ultimately, you it's funny because you feel Mm -hmm. something, right? You know, it doesn't have to be like sympathy either. But this is just like, yeah, I I don't. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting.
1: (laughs) No, (laughs) I think think it's 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 funny in the way that I thought breaking bottles in parking lots was funny when I was a teen. (laughs) You know, it there's it's yeah, there's a a release. You feel something, and that's what you're kind of (laughs) chasing. It's not exactly sophisticated, you know. Yeah. I, I still laugh at bottles breaking. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but back then it was much more of a pastime. And now it's just a random like, uh-huh, back in the day, right? When I was simpler.
3: Yeah. I I almost wonder if it's, Perhaps because I think about the Running Man, right, and that is such a dour book. And I, but I think what he finds funny about it is, you know, and it, and I'll, I'll admit, like I laughed, but not in a way where I thought it was funny, but in a way where it was just, like so goofy. Like at the end of the Running Man, when he's flying the plane into the building, like you, like you, like he describes that, what is it, Ben? I can't remember his name. Ben, Ben, yeah. Yeah, he's like giving the finger like as he's flying the plane into the building and it's so stupid. But like, I I mean, maybe that's like what he finds funny is sort of the fuck authority kind of thing. Like, or just the general sort of Mm -hmm. worlds he's creating. Like he's created this world with this sort of like, you know, bloodthirsty reality show. And maybe to him, that's just really funny. Um, But then I think a lot about like Long Walk and Long Walk is, is, you know, it's got humor, I think, but it's still a pretty bummer of a novel and but like i'm like what is funny in that and of course the first thing i thought of was when the guy was when the one guy like dry humps the girl and then gets a boner and then can't shake it and then gets killed you know and um yeah and i'm like maybe that's what he thinks is funny but that to me is just really sad (laughs) like it's just tragic
0: (laughs) yeah there's like a punching down humor that i think is like pervasive and i actually found a quote in the regulators about this kind of um and johnny is thinking None of this is funny, but he laughs just the same, mm. maybe to keep himself from screaming. He's afraid that if he starts doing that, he won't be able to stop, which I think is kind of like the, this gallows humor outlet yeah. kind of thing. Which also, like, if going back to Heath Ledger's Joker, like, he's dressed as a clown, which is something that is supposed to be funny, but it's not funny because it's so dark. But you can kind of still kind of talk yourself into thinking it's funny and... I don't know. Also, for the record, I don't think Stephen King is particularly funny. He tries to be funny. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, if you follow him on Twitter, and I, I, love you, Stephen King. If you're listening, yeah, but, we love him. You it's know, Pagliacci of authors. <laughs> he's he's,
3: yeah.
2: he's he's just dad. He is it's all like dad humor. Yeah. Oh yeah, like, yeah it's like, just, just definitely and of that also generation. incredibly well-meaning white guy. Yeah. Just yes. those this the most well-meaning white guy, and I know it. Ugh, you know. Yeah. He's probably a well, great it, dad. Yeah.
1: It's like reading James Kahn's Twitter, which I know Randall <laughs> reads, but he puts like end tweet at the end of every tweet and you're like, I don't know if he fully gets how this comes across, but I'm yeah. sure it so started funny. as him being very like earnest about it and like straightforward. But
3: but I think with you regulators know, too, I, I think, you know, I can see the humor a little more there because there is something inherently funny about children's characters like with alien heads and, mm-hmm. and no uh-huh. f- no faces like just unloading on teenagers with shotguns like like there is something really pitch black about that like um, and so I can see the humor almost more so in the regulators than in anything else and I guess Thinner is is funny and well the thing is I think he tries to mine a lot of humor from uh, making fun of overweight people in that book uh-huh. but then he also like I think just the general idea of, of a Native American curse turning people into lizards and stuff is also probably darkly funny to him but yeah, I don't know it's just like I think the packaging because like when I look at it from you know the like the space view or whatever I can see the humor in the regulators but reading it I don't think I laughed once at all you know because it's it's just nasty
2: <laughs> yeah. I do now wonder like what Stephen King thinks is funny yeah like Gosh. in general not about his own work but like what does he watch all in like, the family
1: I would bet <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, But I, I think also the, the fact that the Regulators, I mean, everyone knew that he was Bachman by this point. Mm-hmm. So going back and writing, you know what I mean? Like the cat was out of the bag and Regulators feels very different from the other Bachman books. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the reason is this mm-hmm. actually does feel more like a Stephen King novel than some of the other ones. It's less experimental. Yeah. Other than the whole twinning thing, I don't see a whole lot of, you know, new territory being unearthed.
3: Well, he talks about that a bit more later in the essay. Let's pivot over to that, where he talks specifically about the Desperation Regulators experiment. He says, The idea was to take the characters from Desperation and put them into the Regulators. In some cases, I thought they could play the same people. In others, they would change. In neither case would they do the same things or react in the same ways, because the different stories would dictate different courses of action. It would be, I thought, like the members of a repertory company acting in two different plays. Then, an even more exciting idea struck me. If I could use the rep company concept with the characters, I could use it with the plot itself as well. I could stack a good many of the desperation elements in a brand new configuration and create a kind of mirror world. I knew even before setting out that plenty of critics would call this twinning a stunt, and they would not be wrong, exactly. But I thought it could be a good stunt, maybe even an illuminating stunt, one which showcased the muscularity and versatility of story, its all but limitless ability to adapt a few elements into endlessly pleasing variations its prankish charm but the two books couldn't sound exactly the same and they couldn't mean the same any more than an Edward Albee play and one by William Inge could can sound and mean the same even if they are performed on successive nights by the same company of actors how could I possibly create a different voice and so obviously he went with Bachman um do we think that uh this is an illuminating stunt that showcased the muscularity and versatility of story. (laughs) It's all but limitless abilities. He has such lofty ideals for this project, you know? And I think that maybe just comes from maybe self-justification and the idea that um, he maybe knows what he's doing is kind of gimmicky and he's trying to sort of justify it. Um, I don't know, but... I think, the sa- I think Desperation, like I think we discussed, we think is a pretty powerful novel, one that I think most of us really enjoyed. And Regulators, most of us, were like, well, this feels like, you know, I think a lot of us described it as uh, purging, you know, like uh, diarrhea of sorts um, to take the book's parlance. And no, um, yeah, wait, what'd you say, Dan?
1: Uh, I was going to say, I feel like it, the spirit of Desperation, like talk sort of possess the regulators and just we sort of watched it disintegrate and crumble and not match up to the original form.
3: <laughs> yeah, hey. yeah. Um, so yeah, do we think overall, I think the answer is no, but like what about this experiment do we think just doesn't really, like does it illuminate anything, I guess is a good question.
2: I don't think I the think... experiment illuminates anything. Okay. I think the book, The Regulators, has some interesting ideas Mm -hmm. in it yeah. that are not fully explored, yeah. that are just kind of gestured at. I think the idea that one of the things I was thinking about, like when Dan was talking, um, and also Jen, when he referenced the Joker (laughs) is the, you know, we use the phrase comic book violence. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. one of the things I think it's lost its irony Mm
0: -hmm. in the way
2: we use it, because Mm -hmm. what's interesting, the, the phrase should be, you know, like, a contradiction in terms, right? Comic book, funny, haha, mm-hmm. and then violence. And I think he really, he pushes that, right? He just pushes, like, literally, like, these are children's characters, but it's sort of like a comic book, right? Their genre. And he just pushes this idea um, to, to, I wouldn't say, logical extreme, mm-hmm. you know, but to an extreme. And I think the stuff about TV and about how children's minds work. I want to sort of take the autism side out of it. Cause I, as we discussed before, I don't think he needed to make that child autistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, but the experiment itself is it's like, to me feels kind of pointless. Like he yeah. could have just written the regulators with entirely different, you know, characters. Yeah. And I think it would have done, wouldn't made much of a difference. Yeah.
1: That was one thing for me is I, the, the twinning was only by name really. Like, I actually would have liked to have seen the characters from one book share a lot of qualities with the other ones in a lot of circumstances. But instead, it just was like, oh, yeah, that's the character from this one. They have the same name. And it didn't really go further than that for me. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, yeah, I think, Anna, you mentioned the one character that, like, we felt like we were getting an extension of Johnny Marinville, Like, yeah. uh, like yeah, an yeah. alternate Yeah, he's like the reality. only one. And then Kali, we also got, yeah, like, Kali was similar. and Just like, you see a little bit more of, like, who this person is when he's not possessed, perhaps. Or, like, what would his mm-hmm. career look like? But, ev- but like you said, Dan, the majority of these people are just in name only, really. Um, You know, twinners. So, it reminded yeah. me
1: more of, uh, if you watched Black Adder, hmm. uh, the, the Rowan Atkinson show, where it's four different periods of British history, and it's all the same actors, but they play different characters in every season. And that's, to me, this just felt like, other than, yeah, Johnny and Colin, like I, there just wasn't a lot of... He was that same character in a different circumstance to me. Yeah. Jen, what were you going to say?
0: Um, I have a lot of thoughts about this, and I think I'm probably the lone defender of the experiment because <laughs> I, I love this. I love just in general the fact that he is so prolific and he is so willing to experiment with the form because this is the same year that he put out The Green Mile also, mm-hmm. which is just like as a person who loves to analyze stuff, it's hugely successful for me because it gives me so much more material to look at. Now, if you're looking at successful as publishing three books that I love, I don't think he's successful there because I don't really like, I like talking about these books in connection with each other way more than I like either of them on their own. And I almost kind of look at the regulators as like an addendum to desperation. Like I love it because it helps me (laughs) to be cute. Like, <laughs> the regulators is cruel but its cruelty refines desperation hmm. i think yeah. like It helps me kind of see what his thought process is because and there's a line in Desperation that I loved that says in these silences, something may rise. And I love that because it's so open that it could be a great thing or it could be a threat, you Mm -hmm. know. And so I think when he like the silence is him, like given this problem of working out his feelings about God and his powerlessness of his life. And we see two very different things rise out of it, which I really like. I like that I think it refines the views on religion because I think in desperation, it is talk versus God. And I think in the regulators, talk is God Mm -hmm. and talk is his like myopic understanding of what God is. And I think we can see that kind of with the Hobarts who are in. The regulators. And I think there's, like, I think that is his rage against what he understands religion to be. And I talked about that a little bit in um, the regulators episode, but I pulled two quotes that kind of twinned a little bit. Um, In the journal, they're talking about Hugh Hobart is the son. And Mm -hmm. he said, and, um, Audrey is writing. I could see the other one, though. I swear I could. Hiding behind Seth's eyes and laughing at me. I think the most terrible thing of all is how this stalky little boy knows to leave Hugh Hobart alone to let him just watch. And comparing that to the quote in Desperation, sometimes he makes us live, talking about God, like Mm -hmm. seeing all of this tragedy unfold. And I think... I I think this is just him refining how he feels and kind of getting the anger out and like looking at television versus religion like how much of his understanding of religion is reading the script or saying Mm -hmm. the right words going with the flow like standing up at the right time and sitting down at the right time and I think this is him really processing that Um, so that's I I found a couple of more examples of twinning, but I feel like I've been talking for a while. No,
3: I love what you're saying. I think that's a really, really smart read on it. And I'm curious, though, does having the same characters in regulation as as uh, or in regulation in regulators as desperation, does that enhance? Because you're talking the thematic sort of dovetailing that's happening. (laughs) And that's really interesting. But does the, the experiment with the characters like does that speak in the same way?
0: I think the only one that does is with Johnny. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which is interesting because he, desperation, I feel like he does not like Johnny. Like he's very critical of Johnny, but then in the regulators, he's way more sympathetic to him. And it stands out because he, I feel like he doesn't like anybody else. You yeah. Know?
3: It's like a you know, gentler, kinder, kinder Johnny in the yeah. regu- regulators. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I guess I'm curious. So I think that's super interesting, Like, because clearly you were able to learn more about Desperation via the Regulators. And I do think that that is probably super true in that he was allowing the themes of Desperation to sort of filter through perhaps his darker, more cynical side, uh, which Mm -hmm. is Bachman in Regulators, which I think is a really smart way to look at it. Um, Are there any other twinning aspects that we thought were compelling, that we thought were interesting? Like, um, Because some of them... Some of them, I just, I find so interesting. Uh, Like why, like, because I I mentioned that, um I think when we were doing the Desperation episode I mentioned that I was really struck in a weird way and I remembered it from when I read it from the first time was the description of the the panther paws or the is it a jaguar like the the big cat's paws like digging into Steve's shoulders and and mm-hmm. the claws digging in and the description of blood blossoms coming out and that was to me something that stuck with me for a really long time and then I realized reading Des Regulators he he brings that scene back like the same moment happens and mm-hmm. Yeah, but then even mm-hmm. but even the 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 thing is like on him like the cuz i whatever big cat it is like is on Steve and it's the same moment where it's digging his claws into him and mm-hmm. and that to me is like why that moment? You know, like, what is it? Did, was that just something that was stuck in his head too? Like, uh, I just wonder about those things when I was reading regulators. Like, there's certain images that perhaps he was really pleased with and felt the need to like carry them over. Um, yeah. Did any of that work for you guys, or, or just other? I mean, it doesn't even matter if it worked necessarily because I I know that that image for me stuck with me for years. And I mean, if it did that, then it's obviously I think probably a good thing because it's an image that horrified me and stuck with me over time. And um, But is there any other twinning moments for you guys that perhaps you found at least interesting, compelling, um, or illuminating?
0: I found one, and it's, well, two, because I found it in both books, um, hence twinning. Um, and it's two that we brought up in the Desperation and Regulators episode. And there's the scene where Ellen is being driven to... Um, the pit and Mm -hmm. she's kind of contemplating what her life is. Um, And so on page 188, it wasn't so much a question of where she was. She realized as who she was. She couldn't believe she was the same Ellen Carver who was on the PTA and had been, and had been considering a run for school board this fall. And then contrasting that with the one we talked about. And I think it's also telling that I can't remember who says this in the Mm -hmm. regulators, Um, but it's talking about, um, he had just gotten home from work and it says none of it makes much of an impression on him he is thinking about how he just got home from work that seems like a very big deal to him for some reason he thinks he will begin every account of this terrible afternoon it has not yet occurred to him that he may not survive the terrible afternoon by saying I just got home from work this phrase already has become a kind of magical structure inside his head a bridge back to the sane and orderly world which he assumed only an hour ago which was by right and would be for years and decades to come I just got home from work and I think it's in desperation, he is really willing to go into Ellen's head and think through all of this, and mm-hmm. in regulators, he is putting a facade on it and saying, "Nope, my phrase is, I just got home from work, you yep. know, yep, and I think it's really fascinating, yeah,
2: yeah, I
3: like that a lot. What do you got on i
0: mean i I mean, I think that
2: what I hear when Jen talks about that particular twinning is something is Bachman doing something?" that King does really well, which is this ordinary person in extraordinary circumstance. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And I think in that, like got, just got home from work sort of soliloquy. That's a very Kingian moment to me. Mm, It doesn't mm -hmm. feel Bachman. It feels like he's caring about that character, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know? Um, and in the same, it is very similar. There's also another moment in, that I really liked in Desperation, where it's the um, it's the same moment where they get arrested by Kali and like Kali yeah. mm-hmm. Uchis, and, and there's this thing of like, like, what, how can this be happening to me? I the the Peter character in that, like he has a, he has a like I just published, mm-hmm. you know, whatever in a, in a scholarly journal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then actually, it's funny because when the professor and regulators gets taken by talk. I feel like there's not very much sympathy for it. It's much more making fun of that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: I yeah. I mean, yeah. The, yeah go ahead, Dan. Oh, I was saying one of the lines of dialogue that I found that twinned. Um, so in the Regulators, it says, uh, after almost 15 years, when their only communication had been through lawyers, Johnny and the former Theresa Maraville had commenced a cautious dialogue, sometimes by letter, mostly on the phone. Um, which is in The Regulators, and then In Desperation, it's after five years during which their only communication had been through lawyers, they had begun a cautious dialogue, sometimes by letter, more often by telephone. Huh. And the fact that it's just a literal line to me stood out as one of the mm-hmm. biggest twinnings it just shows how there really is such a loose connection between these two books, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I just like, I wish that, I just remember thinking when I was a kid and I was more interested in viscera and perhaps aesthetics than I was in message. I just remember like, it's almost like reference culture, like the general idea that, um, that all you need to do to like enrapture an audience is just show them something they've seen before. Right. And, uh, yeah. yeah, And (laughs) like, you know, I think there's a lot of, a lot of culture that just does that. It's like, here's some references, here's some things to get excited about. Um, that you guys are already familiar with. And I guess, like, I... I, As a kid who loved King... And I think that's also part, we've talked about this in the pod. Like it is fun. Like when we, when somebody from Salem's lot pops up in a book way later, we love that aspect about King. But I think my problem with uh I, cause I, I remember loving the twinning aspects in desperation and regulars. Cause I was like there, it's like that Leonardo DiCaprio meme where he's pointing at the TV. It's yeah, It's like, it's like, there it is. And uh, I love that when I was young, but as I've got when I got older, I just wasn't seeing what the point was and what that, what the connection was and why it was there. And it's one of those things where it's neat. Like it, it, it like lights up a, a bulb in my head and it's cool. Like, you know, like you, I'm sure you had the same moment, Dan, like, Hey, that's the same line that was in this book and it's here. But the question is well, just well, why? why? Yeah, yeah. Why? Yeah. And, um and yeah. And so I think what you were saying, Jen is super interesting. Cause it's like, you're finding these thematic um, uh, things that are filtered through king and through bachman and i think that's super interesting and and super smart but i just wish that the that the worlds themselves dovetailed cleaner you know like he tries to turn Mm -hmm. the the suburban street into desperation at one point like that's what the world is turning into and he says like oh outside the window it is desperation in this year or whatever i can't remember Mm -hmm. and so but I, i remember just being like why you know like and we're not engaging with it beyond that surface level like if the myth the mythology or the lore or if I felt like I was dealing with the same tack that I was dealing with in desperation because I think there are different ones and I think thematically that works but narratively that's where I struggle a little bit because I'm just like these are two different tacks, and I feel like I'm operating with two different sources of evil and for that reason I don't understand how the twinning necessarily manifests here um I don't know go ahead Anna
2: well, like, the the way that he literally connects the books, right, is that you're supposed to believe that it's Tak who f- first goes into an eagle and then mm-hmm. goes into the kid and gets transferred to Ohio. Mm-hmm. and <laughs> Like you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that feels weird to me. I don't know, there's something kind of strange about um, really wanting to make that connection. Mm-hmm. And then not doing a whole lot with it, right?
1: Yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah, for yeah, for me, um, mm-hmm. it's it's, and I'm curious to hear what you guys think too. Like, which version of Talk was scarier?
0: Because mm. I feel like in
1: desperation, Talk is a lot more menacing and sophisticated, kind of like a god or something. But I feel like in the regulators, he was a little more fleshed out, but immature, more impulsive. Mm-hmm. Not as scary like a teenager. To me. Yeah, right. it wasn't as scary to me. And I was wondering if that was by virtue of who he was possessing, or What, what did you guys think?
2: Well, I think, we I mean, we talked about this when we did the Desperation episode, which is that the, the, the big bad in Desperation isn't talk, it's chaos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a very Kingian idea, mm-hmm. right? The idea, and I think, Jen, you pointed this out then. With the, in a lot of King books, there's there's a implication that there's a hierarchy of evil, and we're just seeing kind of one manifestation of it, and it's not the boss. Mm-hmm. There is somewhere, perhaps the, the the biggest bad, the biggest evil, but I don't think King ever, King ever opens the door on that, that. Mm-hmm. And I think of that, I think of dance macabre and how he talks about maybe, well, actually I think he's quoting Hitchcock about you keep the door closed. Yeah. So you keep mm-hmm. the scary, the monster scary. And I think chaos is a lot scarier than any monster. Yeah. And yeah. And, and nothingness. And also that's the other thing that's 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 the big bad and desperation is the idea that there is no God. Mm hmm. Mm hmm.
0: Yeah. And I think when I think about twinning and which talk is scarier, like I think which one of these books could exist successfully on their own. And I think Desperation, while I, I Desperation is a really challenging book for me, I think it is completely like self-sufficient. And I think The Regulators just feels, it feels juvenile on its own. Mm-hmm. And what I think I find really interesting is its connection to Desperation. And I think that's the same with talk. It's like And I was thinking about, like, which one should I read first? And I read The Regulators first, like, years before I read Desperation. And now I think, like, I wouldn't recommend anybody read Regulators first because it puts it in context. And so if this book exists really to put Desperation in context, as an analyzer of King, I love it. As a constant reader, maybe not so much. And I'm probably not going to
1: reread. That's an interesting point. So I read Desperation first, but which one did everyone else read first? Desperation. I read
0: Desperation.
1: So you're the standalone Jen she with the regulators. Alone. She stands alone. Uh no, because I was going on Reddit and people, you know, they're like, which one should I read first? And right. it, it really doesn't matter. I guess I would say desperation, just you'll be able to plow through the regulators. Whereas I feel like starting with the regulators, it then it might dissuade you from immediately Life jumping to desperation. Get the get desperation
2: <laughs> yeah. in first. I exactly. you know you don't want to <laughs> be hit by a bus having like, only read <laughs> the regulators. This
1: from four people who have read like sixty Stephen King books, but I Right, don't,
2: yeah. <laughs>
3: Um, question as we as we wind down here, do we miss Bachman? Do we want him to come back? Because I do think that King's probably got, you know, another trunk novel somewhere, or maybe he'll want to revisit it before, you know, before he retires, quote unquote. And um, I don't know, because we got Blaze, but I've never read Blaze. And I've not really heard much discourse around Blaze. So I get the vibe. It's not necessarily like top tier King. Jen, you've read it, right?
0: I have. Yeah, it's good. It's it's just slight. Yeah. It feels like okay. That's yeah. exactly
1: how we describe blaze pizza. That's
0: amazing, <laughs> I think yeah. I would
2: say that I wouldn't mind Bachman reappearing, but I'd want him edited, but that's Stephen King.
3: Yeah. I right, do wonder exactly. I just do wonder if he's capable still because I think that he's gotten you know, and I don't say this in a bad way, in any way, shape, or form, but I think he's gotten a bit softer as he's gotten older in terms of yeah. I think his fangs aren't as sharp as they used to be, and his books are more optimistic now in general. And I think his view of humanity is more optimistic uh, now than it than it used to be. And I do wonder if he just if he would have that in him, if that that teenage spirit, that re- that sort of um, I don't know, that grimness is still there. It's it's to me, I'd love to see a Bachman book. In you know in the the 2020s, just to know like what that sounds like now from him. Yeah,
1: I. I, I, Sorry, I I was gonna say like I I I would love uh, the Midwest standoff we just have where it's like no 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 you go. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, That's Laura came up with that term, but yeah the. Like the way, like night shift. Like, I would love to see a short story collection from Bachman. Mm. And I would not be surprised if one does come out in the next decade or two of just, here's these sort of little experimental one offs that have some sort of terror in them, not fully fleshed out ideas, but taken as kind of a compendium would be interesting to read back to back to back. I, I don't think I could do another regulator's, but I would love to see some 50 page, 100 page short stories.
3: Well, do you guys remember that? um, I believe it's in Skeleton Crew, the Milkman stories. There's like two Milkman Mm -hmm. stories. uh, And they're really weird. And like, I think I remember reading that they were like, you know, they were cast off from some novel idea that he had but it was basically like a killer milkman just like killing mm-hmm. everybody on his route mm-hmm. and it's like really gross and I remember we just hated it when we talked about on the episode but it's like so mean-spirited and nasty and cynical and it, it totally strikes me like it just I never really thought of it that way Flieger like the the idea of Bachman short stories but I, I bet like revisiting Skeleton Crew and Nightmares and Dreamscapes if you filter that lens a little bit I bet you could probably classify a few of those as um yeah. as Bachman's or even the the um, The one from Night Shift with the school shooter, you know? Um, or yeah. Kane Kane rose up. Kane
0: rose up, I think is in Skeleton Crew. Oh, that's crew. Skeleton Crew. Um, yeah. I think maybe yeah.
3: I think there was maybe some uh some Bachman more Bachman in Skeleton Crew than we realize. So
0: Well and is there enough Bachman at that point to sustain an entire collection of short stories and was he really differentiating? Because for psychoanalysis, we just watched Children of the Corn and I reread that story. Mm-hmm. And that story felt really like a Bachman story. You mm-hmm. know, like the characters are so mean to each other and like it really ends on a a really down hopeless note yeah. but um, but i don't know if he had the leeway to call himself bachman for that you know yeah um, yeah
3: <laughs> um Sorry. so Wait. oh what's up Anna? <laughs> <I
2: didn't laughs> interrupt the chat because like my dog was in the strangest position <laughs> 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 so we'll have across have... the room and there's just legs we'll have clothes.
3: to post that to our socials <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> right uh so, I think in general Bachman has outlived its usefulness for yeah, King. Yeah, like, I, I think I'd be he interested for a reason. You know?
2: I'd be interested to see what like how King feels about that. Um, yeah, I I mean I think we're probably gonna see another Bachman book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because King again, we love him. <laughs> Everything critical said about him is said with love. Yes. But. He is so fucking self-indulgent, like yeah. he just is, and he has no reason not to be. Right, and I think it's really interesting. I'm gonna bring a one more time. I think, I think he probably does have a program, as they say. Um, in that I bet, I mean, I've heard that he actually goes to meetings. Um, and he, also again, reading Dr. Sleep, his depiction of sponsorship is a pretty hardcore description. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a form of sponsorship that you know. A lot of us <laughs> don't really do. And I wonder if that's the thing that keeps him kind of reined in a little bit. Mm. Because mm-hmm. when you think about his status, like again, he has no reason to, to to not just publish every little thing and to just be like some kind of like I don't know, just be be an asshole, basically. Yeah. Um and he isn't. I don't yeah. think he's not. Okay. But he does publish anything. He does <laughs> yeah. really publish anything.
0: Well, and I think, like, <laughs> if you look at, like, later and Finders Keepers and, um, chuck's dream i think you can see him processing through what's going to happen when he dies and he's probably got some trunk novels that haven't been released or he's got stories in his head that he can't get out yet like there's elements of that what's going to happen to my stories when i die and i think that's part of why i love him as a writer is i feel like he just wants to tell us stories like he's not really trying to write the great american novel he's not trying to like be someone most of the time he just wants to tell us stories and I think you can see him kind of wrestling with that so I definitely think we're going to get Blaze and I wonder if he has some kind of agreement or some kind of document saying what can and cannot be released you know which <laughs> I, when I, I was think reading there's later be nothing. I was like mm, I think there's going to be nothing not I think released. he's got everything I think out. he's just going like,
1: to yeah just... I I can't imagine him putting limits on especially after he goes like I, yeah. Yeah, I was saying like shopping lists are going to come out to <laughs> yeah <laughs> and um, i will
0: read every single yeah, one that, of well, them
1: that's, that's what i was going to say like when a musician releases like a two disc b-sides album and you're kind of like oh do i really need 38 songs but if you're a huge fan yeah yeah that's part of the discography for you and i, I feel that <laughs> way and it, you know i think it's interesting that he chose to kill off richard bachman and i think that sort of speaks yeah. to what he feels about this alter ego that maybe he's outgrown its usefulness mm-hmm. um but again <laughs> that doesn't mean that you know, it's like when any artist is like, well, I'm retiring and you're like, well, there's nothing stopping you. You're not held to this. So just because Richard Bachman's dead doesn't mean they're not going to like unearth, you know, a trove of papers that have just been found in Maine or, Ooh. you know, something like that.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, Jen, why don't you take us out by sharing with us your <laughs> twinning, uh, all your twinners of the um, Bachman novels?
0: OK, so just For the record, before any listeners, well, actually me, this is um, thematic twinning, I think. Not necessarily, like, stories or not really characters. Like, I didn't concern myself with what characters pop up and what stories, because I feel like that's more King's Dominion kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. And also, I was thinking about this through the context of Stephen King being a writer who cares about all of his characters and Richard Bachman being a character who is really focused on one character in the story mm-hmm. so um I think Rage I paired with Apt Pupil because oh, yeah. I think those are both like two like a teenage boy like dealing with his anger and his fascination with death and Rage was in 77 and Apt Pupil was 82 although that's part of different seasons so it's, you know we just don't know when he wrote things right you know? um okay and I already said that I paired The Long Walk with the body. And I kind of went into that a little bit. Okay. Well, so, see, that's Road interesting
3: work. because do you think *At Pupil could be a Bachman book? Like, I get Bachman No, because
0: I think it interrogates Todd. Like, I think it looks at mm. the ways that Todd is, um, like, how destructive this is where I don't think Rage really yeah, interrogates he's that. much more critical
3: th- of Todd than Charlie. Yeah. No, right, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, but I was just going to say, like, like, but then you have, like, Long Walk and then the body, which to me is almost like pure, undistilled King, like everything we love about mm-hmm. King in a lot of ways is the body, like the, the warmth yeah. of it, the the nostalgia, the wistfulness, but also the terror and the horror. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, continue.
0: OK, so um, just go with me on this one. So I put roadwork. With Pet Cemetery, okay, because mm. I think they're, they're both digging. They, <laughs> they do involve <laughs> digging, yes, and yes, real estate, yeah, and real estate, yeah. But it's also like this man, like really trying to hold on to his idea of what his family is. Hmm. And I think this is where I see the divergence a lot. If I really go with this twinning thing, which uh, you know might be a little bit of a stretch, but like I feel like Lewis really wants to hold his family together because he loves them, and I think. Martin Dawes is so self-absorbed and stubborn that it's really just wanting to hold on to the status, yeah. rather than like the humanity of being a part of a family that I see with Lewis. So yeah, that's interesting.
1: These are Power great, 29. Jen. I'm loving these. These are awesome. Oh,
0: thanks. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> well, think
2: they're I think that you're right on the nose in terms of the themes being explored. I don't mm. know if it if they're related in king's head? Yeah, I was oh, going to say it was like conscious. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't I don't think they were probably and I think the idea that they're written about the same time maybe not either.
0: But the thematic I, stuff yeah. I
2: think is is really I think that thematically you're you're right on and these are also some themes that are just er king themes, right? Mm-hmm. Like family is always family's huge yeah. in right. a, in king novels in general. Um and
0: I think what was it? oh, in childhood
3: yeah. yeah. Like, you know. Well, And
0: talking about the themes and how seeing him explore over the years and like not want like being OK with just putting a pin in it for now. And OK, I'll go back to death and revival like 20 years later. Like I love seeing him kind of explore these things. And yeah, I don't think a lot of this is intentional. Yeah. No, are like, just kind of, I, I, think, I think these you, are things that live inside him. But, but
1: even like the taking of land right from the Native Americans mm-hmm. versus roadwork. <laughs> Yeah, that's just Sometimes. a really
0: clever one. I
3: never would have made that. But then there's so many parallels. Yeah,
2: it is
3: really good.
1: Um, and yeah. Like, Sometimes eminent domain is better.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was so lame. Uh, that was the tag oh,
0: that letter. Is, yeah, that's so funny. Okay, what um, do you got for Running Man? Okay, I paired Running Man with Firestarter. Okay. Because I think, well, I mean, they're both running from things. But I also think it is a man trying to save his family. But Firestarter is so much more concerned with Charlie and his relationship with Charlie and, like, the connection between the two. And, like, I don't even remember what Ben's – I barely remember Ben's name. I don't remember his family's name. And I think they're only mentioned. So I think that's kind of the, the myopic story of the same theme again don't think that he intended this at all yeah but this is this is the twins that i find
2: <laughs> i think you just put um you you hit the nail on the head with like as far as like what the difference is which is like it's the myopic version of the theme versus like the fleshed out version yeah. of the mm-hmm. theme yeah you know in yeah. bachman books it's pretty myopic and we talked about it again it's like moving chess pieces around on a board and you kind of seeing or just like you know, I wonder what it's the thought experiment stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, this, again, he doesn't hate the characters, but um, he's using them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. again, I, more than he's trying to figure them out. Yeah. yeah.
0: And he's giving himself permission to not have to figure them out, I think. Yeah. They're like his chess pieces.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So for thinner,
3: mm-hmm.
0: I have Christine because I think he wanted to be thinner. Arnie wanted to be cooler. Like, it's this idea of wanting to be something you're not and having that need and desire consume you, you Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, the way Thinner ends is so, like, so, like, he fucks over his family, you know? And I think Christine is so much more concerned with Dennis and how this affects everyone else. Like, it's not Arnie-focused, you Mm -hmm. know? It's also the uh, uh,
1: people getting hit by cars.
0: This is the that's biggest stretch. True. I would say, Jen, I
2: love you. I think that you're on the right track. This is the biggest stretch for me.
0: <laughs> this one was a little bit of a stretch, but I also think I thought you were going to be like, "There's
2: red. There's both." Right. <laughs> <laughs> the evil thing is but red. Look at the
0: covers. <laughs> yeah, but I also think this is when he was kind of moving out of like thinner. I think is different than the Bachman books. Sure. You know, yeah. like this is not the cl- Like, there's no one. It's supernatural, which I think most of the Bachman books are not. but mm-hmm. you know. I think that's one reason I like them less, by the way. I yeah. mean, I, I've
2: also really been a little bit, you know, not disappointed because, again, we love King, but, like, his decision to kind of go non-supernatural in the, in his later years, like, I mean, come yeah. on. Yeah. Give I want us, those, give monsters. Us some uh, give us those monsters. horror. Give us horror. Might we
3: recommend later his new book? Yeah. I think Ooh. you would actually it. Oh, like it has that? Oh, yeah. I
2: actually just, it's on my shelf. You should read it. It's good. Um, it is good. Yeah. yeah. Like, I know, cause it, because, you know, like, even the Institute, I was kind of like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like. I'm with guys, you on that. It, I mean, I get it. It's about, I get it. There is a supernatural element involved, but it's really about kids. Yep. <laughs> yes.
3: 100%. Later yeah. is very much about, I think, like, the supernatural element is so important to that book. And I, it is. in a way that I think was really satisfying. So I think you'll All dig right, that. I'm on it. Uh, what do you got? Was Blaze next?
0: Blaze is next. Yeah. Um. Although I'm, I just want to note, I think that there was the, the. Misery was intended to be a Richard Bachman book I think and mm-hmm. that's it was, I found yeah. out right although that feels very king to me yeah you know? very much so <laughs> like that's one of my all-time favorites um okay so I put Blaze and if if you thought the last one was a stretch buckle up um I paired Blaze with 112263 okay and the reason why is because Blaze I know is a trunk novel 112263 was an idea that he had a long time ago and had been formatting it, There's all, or, like, formulating it in his mind. There's also a big Of Mice and Men connection in both of those books. Okay. Because Blaze is really kind of King's interpretation of Of Mice and Men, and that is in 112263. And I think both of those stories are about trying to control your destiny mm-hmm. and trying to, um, like exert some kind of control over the universe and I think Blaze is a way smaller, meaner, sadder version of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but they both end in the same place, but it just feels so completely different. So it it reminds
1: me of like Lenny with the rabbit too with eleven or not eleven twenty two, but I guess under the dome, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) With the aliens controlling people. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. kind of as a play. But
2: if if I were your professor I (laughs) I would give you an A, uh, but I'd be like, kind of a stretch, but I admire the way you did it. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) you know, I I, I mean, I'm not, again, this is like, I think it's appropriate to look for these connections Mm -hmm. and I think they are there. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that sometimes what we're picking up on when we see these connections are just the things that Stephen King is obsessed with in general. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, like we we're saying, family, childhood, um, chaos, mm-hmm. um, chaos versus order. Um, real, estate. And, yeah, <laughs> real estate. Real estate, yeah. And
0: fat people. Yeah. yeah. Um, yep. Well, and you compare Pet Cemetery with Revival, but those are both very king books, you know, and king processes. I think the difference is just the different times in his life, you mm-hmm. know. But yeah.
1: yeah. It's definitely like a temporal reflection, too. It's just like, what is he, what is the artist obsessed with during this period of time? Uh-huh. And I, I think that list is great, Jen. I would give you A+. Plus.
2: Yeah. A+. Plus.
0: You. I, I said I'd give her an A+. I, a that's plus. right. That's, yes. I
1: give you not five good enough. bright red yeah, I mean, Pennywise like, clown
3: noses. Yes.
0: Yeah. Um, well, and, like, when we were talking about would they stand on its own, like, I think if he had intentionally tried to pair these books, it would have made them lesser books, yeah. too, you know? Like, oh,
3: totally. You know. No, that's a fun experiment. Uh, lo- lots there. <laughs> I, Yeah, so um, good discussion. I think this was fun. It was fun to revisit Bachman. Um. All these years later, after we did our Bachman books episodes, uh, and and we're going to revisit Bachman one more time with Blaze, and maybe again in the future, depending on where things go. So it's a fun it's a fun topic to discuss, and a fun sort of detour with this pod about Mister King. Um, while our literary journey is over with these books, we have one more episode where we're going to talk about Desperation, the TV miniseries. Uh, we'll probably mix things up, get a few new voices in here, talk about um, Ron Perlman's uh, breakout role is as and Tragean oh um, wow oh you, you don't you didn't know I he didn't started know that it? <laughs> it's
0: also oh, got yeah, St- it's
3: also got Steven Weber um <gasps> so yeah he plays Steve oh
0: sign me
2: up <laughs> I'm a little hurt oh. that's okay
3: <laughs> <laughs> well it's not something I would want to subject everyone to uh, it is very long and so and it was on what TNT I can't remember ABC I maybe didn't... Let's just say that. Existed. Let's just say that there's probably no bodies rotting from the inside in the look, way that they are in the in the look, book. I so. watched
2: the stand miniseries, even though I didn't have to. So. <laughs> and well, I just kept pretending I was involved in the pod discussions. <laughs> like, oh, well, hey, that, you know, there was I a guess lot of what I'll do this time. There was a lot of
3: bloodletting <laughs> on that. But uh, yeah, this was fun. Um, thanks so much for joining us on this journey. We're probably we're our next book episode is going to be Wizard and Glass. We might do a fun Don't Macabre book episode. In between that, we're not sure yet, still mapping it out. And if you are a patron, you can listen to our review of Stephen King's Later, his newest book, which we were just recommending a few minutes ago. And uh, yeah, that one is available to our patrons. We will unlock it eventually for everybody. But um, yeah, lots lots to discuss there. We went longer on that one than I thought we would. Jen, what do you got?
0: Will we unlock it later? (laughs) There it is. I'm sorry. Um, That book unlocks all of my dumb dad. (laughs) I just
3: apologize. Um, Jen, what is psychoanalysis up to these days?
0: Um, so we are finishing up March, which was our um, examination of schizophrenia, and we are about to start a new theme, um, on narcissism, Mm -hmm. which I cannot wait to talk about, and we're going to start that with American Psycho. So that is coming up. We're also we just dropped an episode on Children of the Corn, which is a comfort horror episode, and we're going to be looking at um, 2017's It in a comfort horror episode. Also, so all of that's coming up, and Anna is going to do a comfort horror episode. Hell I yeah. think that we've decided that it's going to be on Alien. Yeah, right?
2: since I literally want to watch it again, even it's, having just watched it, it's so good. I think it's a, I think it's the appropriate. Thing to do and it's probably one of the only horror movies that i own mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like i have like a, a copy of the in that in these days isn't that a which format right <laughs> uh dvd nice even though i don't
0: have
3: a dvd player
0: <laughs> um, that's devotion you know <laughs> anna what's
2: going on in
3: your podcast land these days
2: Well, my, you know, full time, you know, my day job of uh, being a political podcaster, we're exploring themes of reconciliation and forgiveness um, right now, uh, including reconciliation with the planet, which I just did an interview with Elizabeth Colbert, who's a um, staff writer at The New Yorker, who covers climate. Her latest book, um, Under a White Sky, is really, really good. Very depressing. Just, (laughs) you know, uh, just telling you. Um, it's about it's about man's attempts to undo climate change. Okay, and um, uh, I asked her why isn't this book called "What Could Go Wrong"? Because <laughs> um, there's some really risky things that people are trying to do. Um, anyway, uh, and then the podcast that people listening to this show might be more interested in uh, my science fiction and politics podcast, uh, Space the Nation. We actually we just did Alien. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Although it's a very, it'd be a very different discussion because that discussion is a lot about class, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is one of, you know, anyone who remembers it, that's like a big theme in Alien. Um, we also just did, we did um, a canon fodder episode on on um, Ender's Game. Is it canon or is it fodder? Mm. Um, and I came down on the fodder side mm. uh, <laughs> on that one. Um, and we're actually about to tape one on Galaxy Quest.
3: Very cool. I love Ooh. that movie.
2: Yeah. So that would hopefully will be a fun episode. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm on the internets. I write sometimes.
3: Cool. Uh, Fleer, where can we find you?
1: Um, You're not going to ask me about my upcoming projects? You, well, where can, I where can we find later? you? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just take a nap. Uh, come a
0: episode. <laughs> I, I, oh, and I forgot to say, Jen and I
2: are talking about having her come on the science fiction podcast to talk about, I think... T
0: two Terminator two yes I will talk about that till the end of time. So. It's so good. Right. Which we we were going to
2: kind of do an intro. We we're going to pull from her podcast theme idea and do something on trauma.
1: Nice. So. Flieger where can we find you? Uh Dan Flieger online, most <laughs> social media. Find my find my Finsta if you can. <laughs> <laughs> for it's photos, hidden. I don't want my parents to see. It's hidden like army <laughs> hammers. Ooh. Yeah, oh. uh, uh. yeah. Thanks for that comparison. yeah <laughs>
3: Um, as uh, for me, you can find me at Randall Colburn and various places on the internet. Uh, writing, also Losers Club podcast. Uh, become a patron if you haven't yet. We've got lots of fun stuff um, in the Barrens, where we call it. So you can find us at patreoncom slash Barrens We'd love to have you there. In the meantime, this has been fun, everyone. Let's wish everyone some long
1: days, long days, and, and, pleasant, and pleasant, pleasant nights. 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 Thanks. So. Got some hot friends